0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator Because I thrive off negativity It's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpet bag
2: The Rockpile Report Oh, uh, my blood pressure's rising He gave him at banquet beers out of spite The pettiest, hardest-drinking Bills podcast I'll go
1: to Helen and back just to prove a point Everybody to a <laughs> oh, another edition of the Rock Pile Before Podcast. You sound defeated. Oh, I sound a lot of things. I've got Who, Chris, you and I were having a conversation off air about this concept that this was the first truly disappointing Bill season of our adult lives. 100%.
2: I mean I can't I can't remember a time where we've had expectation based on the last couple of seasons and we're underperforming. I've never experienced this in all of my days of being a Bills fan and being able to drink while being a Bills fan. So I've never experienced first, something just like this. So to frame
1: this for our listeners, so what were your expectations for the last few seasons?
2: Playoffs, at least divisional, championship game, Super Bowl in there. Like I, that's what my expectation is: is to at least get to the divisional round, win or lose. Because I don't know, and I think this season is proving it. We don't have the coach to get us past that. I started
1: to think about when you hit me with that. My mind went to, when was the last time that I went into a season going, oh no, this is, this is it. This is the year. I can think of two of them. I can think of the year after 2011. And I don't even think I believed it. I think I just had so much fun at the Patriots loss here in Buffalo that I needed to believe that in order to talk myself into paying for season tickets for the first time. And then before that, it was probably the Terrell Owens season, which was back in 2009. And I think the thing that we've done as Bills fans, I think this is a a perfect example of this this line of thinking, is that you go into a football season thinking about, oh, man, like we have, as Bills fans, throughout the drought, we kept doing the same thing. What we're experiencing now and what we had then are very different. And I'm going to... This is going to be kind of thematic for the show. But it's this idea that in 2009, I thought the Bills were going to be good. They had just signed Terrell Owens. You had a quarterback, you thought. (laughs) And you were like, oh, okay, cool. This is going to go really well. We just signed Terrell Owens. Why wouldn't we go to the playoffs? And then by the end of the season, you weren't so much disappointed with the team As you were just mad at yourself for not seeing what was right in front of you the whole time. You, you actually reached like the midpoint of the season and went, Oh, I'm, I'm just an idiot. Because why did I believe that, you know, having a wide receiver core that was made up of Terrell Owens, Roscoe Parrish, Lee Evans? Why did I think that was going to be the thing? Like, oh yeah, no, that's... Chris, best in the NFL, right? Like world beaters there? Yeah. Yeah. Lee... What is it? Lee Evans, 600 yards receiving. Seven touchdowns that year. That's pretty impressive, to be honest. Except now, if you think about what the bills are, Gabe Davis has seven touchdowns. And we think Gabe Davis stinks, right? The fan base, at large, thinks they need better from a wide receiver, too, than seven touchdowns. So... That's tough. Uh, not a single receiving target over 300 yards, except for Lee Evans and Terrell Owens. Uh, no tight end presence whatsoever. They they were basically non-existent for the franchise. Um, offensive line, like when you look at what that roster was made up of, you look back and go, "Oh, I'm an idiot." We have rookie Eric Wood, rookie Andy Levitre both on this on the offensive line playing the left guard and right guard position while Jeff Hangartner is your starting center <laughs> uh, Dimit- do you remember he was Demetrius Bell and then inexplicably like halfway through his career was like nah it's Demetrius now and you're like wait you can't just erase an eye that doesn't work like that's not how names work I can't just go out I guess I can but it's dumb. If I go out and say, you know what, now I'm Andre. You all just have to call me that.
2: I think that that 9 season would have been slightly better had we gone Brian Arakbo with that first. Because then it would have been Arakbo, Eric Wood, Jarius Bird, Levitre with our first four picks, which would have all been home runs. Aaron fucking Kavika Mitchell was still on the team like what are we doing
1: (laughs) it just like so that's one of those seasons where you just realize oh I'm dumb because I drank too much of the Kool-Aid I like I'm not mad at the team I'm mad at myself for believing that this was a playoff football team when I look back at how it was constructed this isn't one of those seasons 2023, the Buffalo Bills have a quality roster. And even with the injuries, they rostered... Like, they like. Like I don't want to hear anything about this. When you talk about what took place in this game against the Eagles, the Eagles were just as hamstrung on defense with injuries as we were. They're playing backup safeties. They're playing backup cornerbacks. They were down to a third-string linebacker, Blankenship, who just is not good, right? They lose Fletcher Cox in the middle of the game. At one point, Jalen Carter gets shaken up. Like, this is not... Jordan Davis actually like kind of tweaks something as he's chasing somebody across the... They had just as many defensive injuries as we did. And they're missing their star right tackle. And they're missing their starting tight end. They're actually playing third string tight ends and fourth string tight ends. I don't want to hear about rosters. Rosters didn't dictate the outcome of this game. That's not how that worked. Now, here's your week 12 recap. The Eagles 37, the Bills 34. Your stats of the week, I've only got one that means anything to me. Coming into this week, teams that put up the offensive statistics the Bills did. Five hundred plus yards of offense. What was it? Uh, Ten plus first downs. Whatever have you. We're thirty-nine and zero. Thirty-nine and zero until Sunday, when we lost to the Philadelphia Eagles. I've thought about how I was going to approach this for days. Just, you know, it, it took me a while to figure out whether or not I was still angry about this. Because, again, I'm not angry. I don't know.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
1: Like, Define your emotion.
2: I am... I'm checked out on this season as a whole. And I'm, like, so disappointed from what's happened combined with our expectation. We were supposed to get back, win the division again, get a top one, two, three seed, and... Go at it in the playoffs with the Chiefs or the Bengals. And I don't think that that, that it's going to happen. And I think a lot of things can be put on the fact that McDermott is trying to be a head coach and also be the defensive coordinator, which I think is a problem because he's making way more coaching mistakes Than he has in previous years. And I think if you compile all the coaching mistakes that he's made this year, you can roll all that into they're all a fireable offense. I'm like, I'm just like ready to move on from McDermott. I want, I was thinking about this, I want a head coach who believes in his quarterback the same way that Nick Sirianni believes in Jake Elliott. A fucking place kicker that 20 that 22nd Neil bullshit irritated the fuck out of me you waste like do we not have do we not have a? I like how chris it's a it's i'm a not form football I'm podcast this is trying to done. eat a
1: whale in one bite i'm know. not
2: done there's nobody on the headset that's like Hey, I don't think we should uh, try to ice Jake Elliott. I mean, the guy's got a fucking leg. He's pretty good from beyond 50. So, and plus that's like a the chances. I'd rather take the chance that he just straight out misses it on one shot than trying to ice him. <coughs> and then you get 20 seconds with two timeouts and you can move. But, uh, no, McDermott, no, let's play scared. Let's go to overtime. It's funny. No, 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 That's a perfect segue. Over him,
1: Chris. I like how you just tried to eat a whale in a single bite. Take all your emotions and just lay them out there. You don't have many.
2: I no, know this. I don't. I so so you just lay. I everything don't have. You have. Out I of don't have. I don't have a large speaking part to this podcast. Well, but there are some times where I just get frustrated, and that was on Sunday. Trying to watch that fucking game.
1: So let me hit you with this. I want to start, I want to start this entire recap with this. It's actually a quote from William Shakespeare. A coward dies a thousand deaths. A hero dies but once. And I want you to make no mistake about it. Sean McDermott coached like a coward on Sunday. Coward. And it's okay, we, we should become comfortable with the word. Right, because a lot of people hear that and they bristle and they go cowardice that's the word in the most critical moments Sean McDermott was George Costanza getting out of the swimming pool (laughs) like a frightened turtle it changed the course of the game ruined a master craft Like a masterful performance by our star quarterback and our new play caller. Like I'm not even willing to debate anybody about that. And it may have derailed what was maybe our best shot. See, this football team is all but mathematically now pissed away. What might have been the one football season that the Bills could have reasonably had a like a shot at a run to an AFC title under this current regime, with this current roster, with its aging roster, with its aging defensive stars, all of it.
2: Also, look, look. also, the landscape of the AFC, well, the exactly. way it is.
1: Hey, hey, who's in charge of this show, you or me? Me. <laughs> You're talking about a conference that is has lost.
2: That's how I'm in charge. I just shut your mic off. How about that? <laughs> how it's that it's how, this long. how about Never that? You, that you, you the got power. the you got the burrow injury. Kansas City is Kansas City's receiving core. There's a whole mishmash with the AFC. AFC the AFC and how lackluster it's been. <laughs> this is amazing. Is that you could put that up like up higher on the list of disappointing things of with within the bills not being better because that would be for the taking no burrow for the rest of the season and then the chiefs aren't what they've been it's, it's, hold on here we go it's so
1: much here we than go that. the conference has lost multiple starting quarterbacks as you hit on watson rogers The Ravens absorbing significant injuries that make their team special, right? The Dolphins are a team that you're familiar with. You know how to beat them, especially now as we get into the season and all of a sudden you're finding out that more and more teams kind of have a beat on how to force
2: turnovers on them.
1: Steelers, Chris, what are they on offense?
2: It's the first time that they fired their uh, coach since... uh... Or a coach, I think, ever.
1: Like, they're a terrible offensive team, even without Matt Canada. Houston, their quarterback is going to be Rookie of the Year, but he's still a rookie quarterback. And their roster is not as deep. So, you know, they just lose Titus Howard for an unknown amount of time. Their best interior offensive lineman. Like there are things they're going to run into because their roster wasn't built to be as competitive as it is this year. It's They're going to have a tough time down the stretch. So with that, you had so many things working in your favor that if you could just be the Bills team that we've known for the last three or four seasons, you walk, you essentially could have been walking into not only a fourth straight AFC title, but also walking into one of the easier playoff landscapes that you could have hoped for even as a wildcard team. And now look at us, look at us now, right? Yeah. In a year that could have been the year and probably should have been the year. It's now looking like the start of what I like to refer to as the gilded drought, where the team not only continues this inexorable backslide after seemingly having peaked now. now you talk about a, a down year. Everyone goes, ah, it's just a setback, it's just a setback. Yeah, here's what I see. 2020, we made it to the AFC title game. The next year, we should have gone to the AFC title game. But our coach cost us that. The following year, the team just shows up unprepared. To play a division round game. And they backslide again. And you barely got out of the wild card game. So now you're in a place where you may not make the playoffs. And you go, does anybody else see a trend? Like, I don't know what you all do for a living. But trend analysis is a big part of what I do. And I see a trend. Like Every year, more of the shine comes off this thing. This thing that we're all supposed to be doing. And now it's possible that we fall back into being the just the kind of maddeningly mediocre football team that the Bills were back in 2015 or 2000, you know, 2009, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, or 2015 when we started this godforsaken podcast. Yeah. Do you remember how excited we were for that? Yeah. It's Rex Ryan. Obviously, he can fix what's wrong with things.
2: No, we can't.
1: What a bunch of fucking rubes we were. If I could go back and slap Drew Gear's fat face back in 2015.
2: Yeah. I'd love to know how all the content creators within our uh, space are handling it now. And
1: and all of this is just going to get wrapped in a sh... It's it's the same thing wrapped in a shinier package. Right? Because you have all the things. You have a star quarterback who's costing you millions of dollars. You have an aged pass rusher who contributes almost nothing but he's soaking up a ton of your cap space. Uh, You have safeties that you know by name to be good. You have an all-pro corner and an all-pro linebacker and uh, some great defensive linemen, and you have all these nice things. You've got an improved offensive line. They're finally doing the thing that Cromer was brought here to do with them. And you're somehow the worst version. Of what that collectively should be. So you'll pay more. Get all the accolades for, hey, they, they've got talent. And you'll still be the same mediocre team. The Gilded Drought, as I refer to it. It's embarrassing. It's frustrating. It's demoralizing. I feel like Jackie Giles. Disgusting. Maybe is a word that comes to mind. I'm going to need a goddamn thesaurus because I'm rapidly running out of ways to describe the job that this team has done here in 2023 and the damage that they've done to the faith of the member of this fan base in their hierarchy. That these are the guys. We all just assumed, like, okay, great, we've got a guy. He ended the drought in his first season as coach, he's made the playoffs a bunch of years. This is amazing. Okay well, the first year I give him a lot of credit for that. that was bold that was that, that was bold. 2018, the team overachieved considering how little they were spending on it. 2019 you have a Josh Allen. you have Josh Allen who kind of knows kind of is figuring out what he's doing. You make the playoffs because you play strong defense and you lean into the run. 2020 rolls around and Josh Allen starts to light things up and your defense is still playing very well. And you ride that to AFC championship game appearance. And then those same defensive players keep coming back just a year older and a year older and a year older every year after. And you don't really do much to change the dynamic of the offense. The offense is what it is. It's Josh Allen. It's Josh Allen carrying the, carrying the load. And it just, like, I don't know. Chris, you see how we've gotten here with all the fallout and all the acrimony that's come out this week. There's a singular figure, one throughout the course of his career, who keeps talking about accountability and how he accepts accountability. Seems to be standing almost above any real semblance of it at this point. Now. Like a Tarantino film, I'm going, to cir- I'm going to kind of circle back to the beginning. We've given you some prologue. I now want to go back to the beginning because I feel like it's incredibly important to all of the Sean McDermott discourse that's been had this week. All the pundits, the podcasters, the radio personalities, the writers... You have all these people who have gone on to finger wag some of the more emotional parts of our fan base and tell us that we're bad. We're the jerk offs here because we want to fire Sean McDermott. You're mad. This is an emotional response and you're just being emotional in the wake of a loss. And I say, no, 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 that's oversimplifying. You're oversimplifying what is a broad issue, right? We can't blame that we've been told this week that we can't blame one person for the failures of the 2023 Buffalo Bills. Much less the failures of the Bills in Philly this weekend. <laughs> it's not one person's fault. And you are right. Right? Chris, obviously, you can't blame one per- any one person. I mean, anybody who's a part of any of my group chats knows how I feel about the Hockey League family at this point. <laughs> I think, I, I do think, and I'll say this because I'm not ashamed of it. I think I said I hope the entire Hockey League family gets carbon monoxide poisoning for Christmas. Like, that's a thing I sent out. Maybe I believe it. I don't know. You'd have to ask me in person when I'm sober.
2: I mean, the Eagles are 4-0 against the spread when Hockey Lee officiates. That's a thing.
1: Do you see somebody change his Wikipedia page to say that uh, Sean Hockey Lee uh, uh, ended up owing Nick Sirianni $5 million in a timeshare scheme gone wrong?
2: I think I saw that. It's pretty funny.
1: It's pretty funny that you're allowed to go on Wikipedia and just make edits. I do like that. I'm mad that there's former players. Chris, you heard it today,
2: right? Oh, my God. I went to... We don't have any water in the studio. I got to keep Drew hydrated. So i like, all right, I'm going to go to Wegmans, get a couple of cases of water for the podcast studio. And because I listened to GR on my way home from work this morning... I get in, and I go into Wegmans, and there's Tasker defending McDermott. Yeah, Defensive injuries and, you know, all this other bullshit.
1: Stevie Johnson talking yes. about how, oh, you got to keep McDermott around because he's the one who made the Bills Mafia thing cool. I don't give a fuck if anybody in the building thinks it's cool. What you think I think it's cool that the team adopted Bill's Mafia? I don't I don't care. Win a football game. Don't talk to me about the culture of the fan base. Oh, well, that wouldn't have been cool if it wasn't for Sean McDermott. Who gives a shit? Stevie Johnson with all due respect, who gives a shit? I don't I don't care about people who set themselves on fire and jump through tables or who make this team a part of their personality because they don't have one outside of that. I, I I don't know, and I don't care. I don't care if the franchise ever liked the concept of Bill's Mafia. They wouldn't have stolen it from Del Reed the way that they did. Great. Stupid. Entire, guys, I love the guys over at Cover One. And it's funny watching Aaron Quinn and Changes tune from Sunday to today, where he's now going, well, I could go either way. on firing him or keeping him. No, no, no. There's a lot of water carrying going on here. There is. Trying to advise people that temperance is the best course of action when it comes to being angry with a head coach. But there's so many of this organization's failures in 2023 that have his fingerprints all over them. The philosophical elements are here, and I'll break them down for you. Sean McDermott is a coach who regularly, now, and I want to preface it with this. We all know the job of a GM and a head coach. A head coach has a team philosophy, a roster construction that he has in mind to carry out that philosophy, and the GM is simply the guy who does the shopping. It's like me and my wife. I don't go to a grocery store. You, I shouldn't be allowed in
2: grocery stores. Chris,
1: you've seen the way I interact with people in that kind of a setting. Yeah. I shouldn't be allowed anywhere near that place.
2: I mean, I've been kicked out of Build-A-Bear,
1: so... (laughs) My wife does all of our grocery shopping. She says she enjoys it. It's cathartic. I said, hey, if that's more power to you, because I don't have the patience for it. So I tell her what I think our dinner should look like for the week, or when she comes to me and says, hey, what do you want to do for dinners this week? And I say... This, 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 and this. And she goes, okay, I'll go to the store, see what they have. If they don't have this, I'll get that. If they don't have this, I'll get that. But I'll get together what it is you say we need in order to make this happen. It's the same dynamic when it comes to a GM and a head coach. Sean McDermott knows, or at least tells Brandon Bean, this is what I think we need to win in 2023. McDermott's job is to go out and make it happen. Now, McDermott has regularly prioritized a roster that features significant investments in special teams players and the special teams unit as a whole. Tyler Medakevich, his continued existence on this roster is proof that they believe that this is important, except not when everything goes to shit. Like, all of a sudden, that looks like a glaring mistake. We are currently ranked 28th in the NFL in field goal percentage. We're 17th in punt return yards allowed and 18th in kick return yards, so our coverage units are bad. And our kicker is doing poorly. We're 27th in the NFL in net average punt yardage, 30th in punt yardage total, so it's not like our punter's having a banner year. We paid Tyler Bass... And we paid Hardy. Remember Hardy, who was supposed to be like, oh man, I could see him being a Tyreek Hill in this offense. Nope. Returner. We paid a guy $9 million a year to be a fucking returner. Nothing more. Occasional go route. That's it. That's all he's ever been to this offense. Is that not one of the most maddening decisions when you look back at it this offseason? They told me that I couldn't have a $2 million linebacker because we had to have a $9 million hardy. And he ran five post routes that I'm aware of. A few little short routes to the flare. He might have a touchdown this year.
2: Give me uh, yardage, targets, and receptions. What do you think they are?
1: I would say he's got less than 150 yards. I would say he's probably got about 20 targets. Where am I?
2: How many catches?
1: I'd say 11.
2: You're in the ballpark. 19 targets, 13 catches, 113 yards, one tutty.
1: Embarrassing that you, you prioritize this individual in free agency and everyone went, okay, because we think that you're doing it the way any coach would. You see that his analytics say he could be a deep... If you could scheme him open, he's a threat in the open field. He could be the thing Isaiah McKenzie wasn't for you. Instead, you chose to make him nothing but a kick returner. That's embarrassing. It's wild to me. 17th in punt return average, and now he's fucking benched. He's not even playing for you. But you prioritized him in free agency instead of going and building linebacker depth. What, what the, the thing that I'm supposed to buy as an excuse as to why this team isn't better. Tyler Bass is now 29th in field goal percentage in the NFL. He's 29th. I just checked. It's uglier than I thought it was just two minutes ago. Lack of cohesion and execution has played a large role in at least three of their losses this season when it comes to the special teams units. The opening game against the Jets, we missed two field goals. Against Philly, two misses. Denver, you've got too many men on the field. Everyone goes, well, that's not Sean McDermott's fault. If it's not Sean's fault, then let me point out that he's had three different special teams coordinators over the course of the last few years, including Heath Farwell, who wasn't fired after that disaster in Kansas City with the 13 seconds, but didn't work here the next season. Chris, if you can read between the lines, what does that say to you?
2: There was a disagreement. and Never fired. Somebody just kn-
1: doesn't work here now.
2: Yeah. His contract was not renewed. Yeah. Mutually. (laughs) Allegedly.
1: (sighs) So this special teams unit is a mess, and you are the guy who thought that this mattered so much, you sank assets into it. Also in building our rosters, he's always prioritized this veteran defensive lineup. We entered the season with one of the oldest teams in the NFL. Definitely the oldest defense. So is anyone shocked when Hayden Poyer looks slow? They're both in their 30s. Is anyone surprised that in the fourth quarter of a game against the Philadelphia Eagles, with A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith, they looked slow by comparison. Anybody? Bueller? Are you shocked? I'm not. Von Miller is absorbing snaps that should be going to guys like Epinesa and Floyd and Rousseau because he's, he, he's an empty suit out there. They should have left him on IR. That's what I understand the, the, the want to placate a player like Von Miller. Also, this football team doesn't need him on the field. He has yet to produce a statistic, yet he's eating up Snapshare in critical moments. He's on the football field because it's almost like they're just trying to wish him into making an impact. And the reality is he's an old player who's coming off a significant knee injury. Where are you as a head coach when you see, like, if we can see this happening, where are you, Sean McDermott? Tyrell Dodson, you know, the guy that we're stuck with because you had to pay Deonta Hardy. Tyrell Dodson is now playing a starting role for this football team, also because you won't trust Dorian Williams and won't let him earn his... There's going to be a learning curve. But you know what I would rather do is let a more athletic, instinctual player be out there on the field when a quarterback vacates the pocket and just runs across his face and his feet are just too slow to keep up with Jalen Hurts and on a critical possession on third down, you can't hold him to a field goal because your linebacker's too slow. But hey, he's a veteran, right? That's what we're all here for, veterans. Not ones that you want to pay, though. Not ones who have NFL pedigree or proven NFL performance. No, 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 but veterans, we believe in them. Tyrell Dodson. He is now a starter for four quarters for the Buffalo Bills. It's. So the roster construction that continues to allow these embarrassments. Who's to blame for this? I can't blame Brandon Bean. He's doing what he can. When you have a coach who comes to you and says, hey, I want you to go out and I want you to pay for this wide receiver slash kick returner. And you go, hey, okay, that makes sense, because he's, he's a dual threat. He's in to play role on offense. He's just, and then you watch the execute. What do you think Brandon Bean thinks when he sits back in his office and goes, so, Sean, you're going to scratch that guy that you made me go out and get? Like, I think people just assume that Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott are, like, buddy-buddy. What would you do if a coworker was like, hey— I need X, Y, and Z, and I need you to do it for me. And then you do it, and you find out that their plan was flawed from the beginning, that they didn't actually have a plan, and if they did, it was really ill-conceived. What would you do? You would probably look at that guy differently, wouldn't you? Yeah. I have. To, I can only imagine what's going through Brandon Bean's mind as he's watching the season go on. Saying, "Listen, I did the things that you asked me to do. You asked me to go get Jordan Poyer if he, if we could get the price right. We still think he has value. You asked me for things. I've given you the best of
2: what I can give you." Do you want a trivia question? What's that? Who has seven catches and fifty three yards this year?
1: Trent Sherfield
2: nailed it. Fuck. <laughs>
1: it's like what? Why? <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> Did you give me Justin Shorter at this point. I don't give a fuck. Oh, no, we have him for his special teams acumen. Well, where is it? Show it to me. Because I don't see it. It's not materializing in the statistics around the field. Oh. oh, And yet people go to bat for Sean McDermott. Even after this latest loss. And I struggle... With what seems to be that in the, like, in the face of ever mounting evidence that we've peaked with this individual as our head coach, people still push back on this idea. But it all showed up in this loss to Philadelphia. And like, like I said, don't get me started about the injuries. Philly has a ton of them right now. They also had third and, f- like, like third and fourth string tight ends. Chris, you can't throw to those players. So they didn't. They kept trying to engineer wide receivers into the flats and trying to get line, uh, linebacker matchups that they liked and they couldn't get them. And our, they're missing the right tackle, so he's constantly being harassed by pass rushers. Unless we were purposely trying to hold him in the pocket. It, our defensive line carried Sean McDermott through so much of this game. His first half play-calling performance was incredible. From there, everything went to shit. And it's, it was really easy to see what happened. They recognized, hey, his front seven, they're running a lot of games, or they're not. Or they're playing us straight up and basically holding our quarterback in the pocket. When we have plays kind of designed to be at their best when he can roll out when he could roll out and he can generate like wait for one of his guys to break contain make an off-script play we had all the answers at first and like i credit that like more like the play of our front seven i credit that more with our early success than i do Sean McDermott i do floyd had a hell of a game Rousseau had a hell of a game going
2: early in this one.
1: And then it all went to hell. Do
2: you remember what I said Philadelphia was going to do? I'm pretty sure last week I said they were going to come out flat. You did. You did say that. And we couldn't take an advantage of that.
1: We had a 10-point lead that probably should have been a, what, like a, I mean, the officials. That's where I'll blame the officials, right? That our lead wasn't bigger going into halftime. We absorbed almost a hundred yards worth of penalties in the first half.
2: Ten penalties in the first half,
1: including that incredible horse collar that Sean that Sean <laughs> Hockley's still defending. Which, like I said, when I say hey, I hope the whole like when I say when I maybe have a couple beers, allegedly have a couple beers, and send a group a group message out. That says, I hope that at Ed Hockley's funeral, there's a structure fire that wipes the stain of the Hockley's off the face. Like, basically prevents the Hockley family from staining the NFL with any more of these calls. Allegedly. Allegedly said this. I don't know. You'd have to be able to. You'd have to prove it. You'd have to prove that I said it. But maybe that's a thing that would have happened as the first half was coming to a close. Um in the second half, they let, they, 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 finally let us play. But at the same time, the damage was done because their coaching staff had caught up to ours. Second half, gone was the aggression from the front, uh, from the first half. Yeah. Our front seven and secondary stopped being, occasionally they would bring Teron Johnson on a blitz, but by and large, they played safe, soft zone coverages down the stretch when it mattered. Play calls that were so transparent, the Eagles' offensive line openly talked about it, Chris. Now it's Ben Solak has the best breakdown of it. Where Maliata, their left tackle, says that when they saw the look Sean McDermott gave them on the final play of the game, they already knew pre-snap that it was going to be a touchdown. Because they were like, oh, they've, they've been doing this all game, and we finally are going to hit them with this play. Tell me that you don't know how to disguise your coverages as a coach. Maybe you're just not a very good defensive coordinator anymore. You know, we talk about Bill Belichick all the time in the game passing you by. Maybe the defensive coordinating game has passed Sean McDermott by.
2: Possible. Is that fair? It's possible.
1: When you think about the way some of these games have gone this season, maybe that it's not maybe it's not that he's bad at what he thinks it takes to win. Maybe he just doesn't understand, but more likely I blame cowardice, right? Like I blame cowardice for where we are today. They came out of the tunnel and Nick Sirianni said, Hey, I need to go win a football game. I'm going to, I'm going to make some gutsy calls. I'm going to have my guy throw into coverage. I'm going to explain to Jalen hurts. You got to throw into coverage. Okay. They're not, they're not going to give you any of the layups. You're going to have to take some shots downfield against those safeties, but I bet you it's going to be there. We're going to do a little bit of things to make life easier on you, but we are going to press, and we're going to attack them. And, it's, and they came right at us in that second half. Never relented. And they ultimately won the game because of it. That and because their coach was willing to take gambles that ours wasn't. Another inexplicable failure to support our quarterback with four quarters of a cohesive game plan and to pivot and change direction other than just turtling up when the game got close. You know, I've got this thing here. It's a tweet that I bookmarked. And it's funny because it's talking about that, like, Chris, the dynamic of single-score games,
2: right? Right? Oh yeah, we uh that's another reason that I, when I was listening to Tasker for the thirty seconds this one, he was like We all our losses are by like less than a touchdown. You know, why why get rid of McDermott? Why do we need to do that? He's he gets his team prepared to play and they don't get blown out. I'm sorry, I'm not interested in mediocrity. I want the best.
1: Sean McDermott is a, in his career is 28-28 in one-score games. So he's a coin flip as to whether or not he wins. At the same time, if you want to apply a little context, then I took this from uh, Uber Hansen from Cover 1. Zach Taylor seventeen and 25 Sean McVay is 29-20. Mike McDaniel is 9-7. Mike Vrabel is 28-23. Nick Sirianni is 15 and 6. Kyle Shannon's 25 and 28. Dan Campbell with Detroit's 9 and 13. Now, some of those guys that I just named are guys that you are unfortunately going to run into if a Super Bowl is on the docket, right? You are going to have to figure out how to be at the level when games get tight. To do the things that become necessary to win in a close game, Nick Sirianni's doing them. You aren't. Sean McVay did them. You didn't. <laughs> you aren't. You you maybe can't. Your conservative nature, like it, it will, it is your undoing, and it's unfortunate because it's just a part of who you are, right? That failure, Chris, trying to oh, okay. Look at this. The whole, the, you earlier expressed frustration over the way the game ended. Okay. What that proved to us is multiple things. One, Sean McDermott's still a group, a part of the group that thinks icing the kicker works. Two, he doesn't trust his generational quarterback as much as he trusts his own defensive play calling and, and a coin flip. He trusts a coin flip in his ability to call a defense better than he trusts Josh Allen. To me, that's a fireable offense right there. Who the fuck do you think you are, Sean? You wouldn't be here still if it wasn't for Josh Allen. If he had maintained Tyrod Taylor to this point, Chris,
2: where where is Sean McDermott's career? He would have been gone two, three years ago and would have gone back to Carolinas, D.C.
1: You found Josh Allen. And yet, in the moments that matter the most, you make decisions that show you're scared and that you think you can get by on the luck of a coin flip and your own defense... Because what what if Philly wins that coin flip? Sean McDermott believes... He would rather than try to win with his star quarterback in a 20-second window, which is hilarious when you consider the context. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's it's hilarious that he doesn't think you can go down and kick a field goal in 20 seconds, <laughs> which shows you that he's not learning and he's not paying attention. He's not absorbing information. That also, he trusts that he's going to win a coin flip, and if he doesn't, his defense can hold for a whole offensive possession. Chris, did we not find out this week that he's wrong? Yeah. There is no singular offensive possession that he can hold for in overtime. He hasn't, which is why the Bills are 0-5 in overtime games under Sean McDermott. Like, that's... It's enraging that no, all of these people who are insisting you can't, you can't fire Sean McDermott. They fail to look at these critical moments and go, that's going to come back to haunt us because this is a facet. This isn't, it's like that, that joke that you see online all the time. It's not a bug. It's a feature. This is a feature of who Sean McDermott is as a coach and to continue to resign yourself to this. I just don't understand it. He's playing not to lose, just like Dick Duron did. Which is why I think it's hilarious that he was just given that fat extension, and now most of the fan base is calling for his skull. You look at the, the records this team now owns with Sean McDermott as their head coach. He's the first team in NFL history to lose six games by six points or less in the first 12 weeks of a season. He leads the NFL in losses when they have the lead with under two minutes with three teams putting up our offensive stats were 39-0 since the NFL merger until Sunday. Chris, the man just continues to make history for all the wrong reasons, and yet everyone rushes to defend this guy, and I don't understand why. I don't get it. So for all of you who think that everyone who wants McD- uh, McDermott fired, we're not all just over-emotional idiots, as some of you keep saying on Twitter. Some of us are just tired of watching what could be awesome. What could, what could be something great be brought back down to earth by one guy, one misguided guy who understands what it is to take garbage and make it acceptable, but can't take acceptable and make it exceptional. That's it. And then, here's the best part. Everyone goes, well, he is too easy. It's not like he's not taking accountability for it. Is he, Chris? I mean. He's fired everybody that he could. Here's a question. There's a good friend of ours, you and I, who had his Buffalo Bills credentials revoked because he wrote an article. I don't have to say allegedly because I know that this is true. He published an article full of quotes by players about their frustration after one of the biggest debacles in our franchise's history, at least during my lifetime. The response was that the coach had his credentials pulled. So as to keep him from airing any more, the emperor has no clothes, and how dare you be the one that points out that he does not does that sound like accountability to you? No. All the people giving uh, Panthers owner David Tepper shit this week for for meddling in the draft—he
2: is a horse's ass—and
1: for just how he's handled all this Frank Reich stuff. Do you think Sean McDermott would handle it any differently? Oh, the fact that he boxed out reporters who said mean things about him and didn't give him an opportunity to talk to him during the, during his press conferences. You think that was, that's almost McDermott-esque at this point. He's going to create his own sub-genre of reporting style. Whether you're an NFL head coach or the CEO of a corporation, true accountability is a slippery slope. Like, take a look at being a CF, uh, CFO. The economy in 2023 sucks. Inflation's up, cost of goods are up. Fuel is up. Forecasting's hard because of recession concerns. Labor shortages are always an uh, ever-present issue. <clears throat> Money's tight. And the ripple effects of decisions and investment choices are magnified. And there is a lot of pressure to execute because windows are closing for companies all over the world. It's not all that different than being a member of the Buffalo Bills Brain Trust in 2023, 2024, 2025. Like, that's what our future looks like, doesn't it? Yeah. By September of 2023, 1,425 listed CEOs across the country had either been fired or quit. It's the most ever recorded in a nine-month span. That's what accountability looks like. That's, hey, there was a lot of pressure to hold this one job Because it's one of 32. And yes, as you become the coach of a team that starts to find star players that it has to pay, the pressure on you increases. Because you have to be the thing that bridges the gap that we can no longer fill with money. We no longer have a a second linebacker. For all the people who bitched about Tremaine Edmonds... You no longer have a second linebacker like Tremaine Edmonds because you can't afford him. He priced himself out. You found Terrell Bernard, and that was a hit right up until Milano got hurt. So now you don't have like now you're scrambling and you're going, "Hey, coaching has to bridge this gap." Andy Reid is constantly bridging the gap between what his skill possess his skill players can can accomplish and what the team does on offense. He knows he has to do all the heavy lifting, and he's doing it. Yet we're somehow supposed to look at Sean McDermott and his defense and go, it's okay, they're hurt, they're not that talented. It was his design, and now it's his coaching acumen that we're supposed to rely on to bridge that gap. When the pressure is on, real accountability, like like real accountability for failure, is inevitable. Companies are far less lenient in the past, given how st- stringent things have gotten financially and how su- how important successes are in this climate when it comes to business. It's no different in football. If you can't win with a star quarterback in a tight cap situation, Chris, where we can't just buy you every star under the planet, but we can extend some contracts and shift some money around and bring you a Leonard Floyd who is killing it for you. And you still can't win. What does it say about you? I don't even know. Yeah. I'm over it. These guys don't get many second chances. Sean McDermott's getting a lot of them. So now we've got a man whose best intentions and best efforts haven't been enough. Who has repeatedly crumbled in the face of pressure. Always applied by a star quarterback and a well-rounded offensive-minded head coach. Always. They will forever apparently have his number, which every AFC playoff field will be littered with for years to come. And yet this guy keeps talking about accountability and explaining that he's trying really hard to fix things. And like so many other failed CEOs that lost their job this year, he just might not have the answers. It's entirely possible he just doesn't have the answers. And he doesn't have the personal proclivities that will make him successful going forward. Do we, does this organization have time to waste allowing this guy to keep playing a cardinal role for them?
2: No, you gotta move on from McDermott.
1: Are we gonna continue to accept more clapping in exchange for, I don't know, crucial in-game decision-making? Are we going to accept that the man built a culture, a culture of winning, except when it matters most? You have a culture of being a playoff team, playoff caliber. Awesome. Shouldn't we want more than that? With what we have? This is the concept of the Gilded Drought sure like like it's the way i think about colts fans back in the late 90s early 2000s you know on into the mid 2000s you're going to be a good football team you'll probably make the playoffs but you'll never sniff a super bowl would you as bills fans resign yourself to that what about you chris would you be okay because I feel like there's so many of you that are so scared. This idea of, oh my god, well if we move, we'll go back to the... What's, what's this stupid tweet from Thad Brown? Thad Brown tweeted out a list of all the people who have been hired. Yeah. Terry Pagula head coaches who have made the playoffs. Sean McDermott. Terry Pagula head coaches who have not. Rex Ryan, Ron Rolston, Ted Nolan, Dan Bailzma, Phil Housley, Ralph Krueger, Don Granado. You should be careful what you wish for, Bills Mafia. First of all, Thad Brown, you're a hack. Second of all, what... First, one of those, he's only hired two football coaches, right? Yeah. Okay. So this is his second bite at the apple in football. And at the same time, he wouldn't be doing it alone because he'd have a GM who would be helping him do it. Right? Yeah. Okay. The rest of those are hockey. Chris, how many how hard is it to find a good hockey coach?
2: Uh it's, to, who isn't a retread? It is hard. I will tell you this. I'd have to like double check, but I have looked it up before. Now the Sabres have been around since 1970. And I want to say it's only three coaches in their entire existence have coached three full seasons how about that over 50 years and you've only had three coaches coach at least three full seasons
1: it's easy to like you can't mix hockey and football but what i will say is that when we look at this chart here yeah who tweeted out so it was really put together by sean newkirk And we retweeted it. In fact, I'll retweet it right now. You can find it over at Report on our Twitter feed. Infographic, total quarterback EPA in games where the team ended up losing? They said the left side is mostly the quarterback who played well in, in their losses. Who do you think is number one with a bullet? Josh Allen. What do I do with that? What you're telling me is that when my quarterback has stellar performances, we just have to hope for mediocrity from the head coach and the rest of the team? Why do I have to accept that? Somebody tell me. I'm telling you. It's, Chris, I accept that everyone's afraid of firing a coach and going back to the days of the drought. I was born in it. I, we say it all the time. I'm Bain. I was molded by the drought. I'm dead inside. I have no feelings. Nothing can hurt me. Send me back to the pit. What I know is that having Josh Allen as my quarterback is worth five to six wins a year. I will at least be a six and 10 football team. I have lived it before. I will live it again. If it meant rolling the dice at having a shot at being great. I'm tired of settling. I'm tired of settling. And we have an avenue, an opportunity. Our team would immediately become the most attractive head coaching destination in the NFL if we had a vacancy this year. Gone are the days of the drought where you're overpaying a Greg Williams to come in here and do the job. Or trying to scrape a Doug Marone off Syracuse (laughs) Syracuse, to come coach in the NFL. No, 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 no. You would be the you would be the biggest draw of a head coaching position in the NFL because you have Stephon Diggs, because you have Josh Allen, because you have all of the Dalton Kincaid and a line that's finally doing the thing that you paid it to do. But Chris, am I crazy?
2: I mean, you could make an argument for the Chargers and. No. You have Herbert.
1: Oh, good. So you have, you have a
2: base. You have a base of your. You have a good quarterback. And you
1: think Herbert, Herbert, and those California taxes are going to outweigh Josh Allen?
2: Well, how are New York taxes? Are they close? Close to California? A little lower. Okay. Does uh, they don't have see. a line? Okay. Let me ask you this: They don't have a running game. I got some, might surprise you. Who has more access to the sun? <laughs> L.A. I'll tell you what. Fucking nobody. Because if the Bills
1: continue the shit that they're doing, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. This stupid stadium. Because that's the problem. These people who are going, oh, my God, you can't fire the coach. You know what they look like? They're the people who are going to go home. It makes them feel better when they lay their heads down at night, knowing that their team will probably be relevant most Sundays. Right? That's all they want is probably because they're bandwagoners. They didn't live through the drought like we did. They don't understand what it is to be dog shit. Never have a shot at being great. So now we're going to piss away our shot at greatness to placate these people. These people who then don't mind paying 300% more to watch a football team play a season's worth of games that won't result in the Lombardi trophy coming down Delaware Avenue. It's. Fucking wild to me that that we're not all standing outside One Bill's Drive with pitchforks already. What I know is that the time for clamping is over. The time for excuses is over. This faux accountability—it's over. We've wasted enough time behind it. The time for tough talk about it, yeah. Like, I think about the song Eulogy by Tool. It's a, You keep saying how you're the guy. You, you're, you're the mouthpiece. You keep talking about how you're the guy. Okay, then don't be surprised when you end up crucified for your failures. Don't be surprised. Get your ass up there. <laughs> that's, that's what this is. Because you keep saying all the things and filling up the air with all of these non sequiturs and throwaway statements that don't actually mean anything. Because you're not working that hard to fix this. Or at least it's not showing. If you are working that hard and it's just not working, that's even more damning. I'd rather believe that you're not trying and this is all just window dressing. Because if you are trying to fix the issues with this football team, and yet here's where we are then, Chris, isn't that almost worse?
2: Yeah, change has to be made.
1: I don't know if this organization has the guts. We're going to find out. And again, I don't know what the... like The dynamic of Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, everyone assumes that they're a package deal. Why? You don't mean to tell me that if a guy who's been... Bean didn't a-
2: hire McDermott. Exactly. So,
1: why do you think Bean would care about having to fire him?
2: Yeah, they okay.
1: They worked together in Carolina. Big fucking deal. Would you fire somebody to save your job?
2: Uh, yeah, because we've seen McDermott do it. Bang.
1: Bang. There it is. My man. See, we can play tennis. I fucking love you. I love doing this podcast with somebody who gets it. It's like I set him up bump, spike, set. You've watched this guy shit how many people out, throw how many people under the bus. Accountability, right?
2: Fired, what, two OCs? One left for a head coaching job?
1: One left for a head coaching job, and there's clearly bad blood there. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's only 32 of these gigs. Is Brandon Bean going to lose his because Sean McDermott's bad at his? I I wouldn't expect that at all. (laughs) And that's just the nature of the NFL, folks. (sighs) Ultimately, we're going to find out. I just, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how this all plays out. Cause either way, dead inside. Now, Chris, where are we at for time?
2: Uh, a little over an hour. A little over an hour.
1: I'll tell you what. Do we want to save this or should we just get into it? I would save it. All right. Guys, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to peruse Twitter, but go on over to my feed if you have. I upset a lot of Philly fans today. Are people who have it worse segment that I had planned, but it would take a while to roll this out?
2: You do it on After Dark. After Dark.
1: Yeah, we're going to, in fact, guys, go over to our YouTube page and check out YouTube After Dark. We're going to talk about the Philadelphia fans and just some of the things that we've learned about them from this week. It's interesting, but it is what it is. Chris, final thoughts as we wrap this podcast.
2: Fire Sean McDermott. Fire him into the sun.
1: This game is a microcosm of all of the failures, all of the reasons that this team will not reach greatness, or at least has struggled to do so. It's also maybe an indication that we can't keep letting a guy who's here because of his organizational skills and his defensive acumen that seems to maybe be slipping a little bit. We can't let him keep doing the job if those both fail him in every critical moment that he's faced with. And yet, Chris, the graphic that I'm looking at right now from Fox NFL. The Buffalo Bills through week 12. It's their Super Bowl odds. Do you know that we're still ninth best odds in the NFL to win the Super Bowl?
2: That's nuts.
1: How the fuck are we even in this conversation? Oh, I know. Josh Allen. That offense. Everybody saw what they did. Everybody knows. Vegas knows. Vegas watched that and they go, listen. If the chips fall, what are we, a 14% chance to make the playoffs now?
2: Something like that. We're almost down
1: to single digits for the first time ever. Like, at least under Sean McDermott. They're still putting us on this chart. It has nothing to do with Sean McDermott. It has to do with our quarterback, who has proven, I think, that he's a maniac, tougher than nails, wants to win more than anything, paired with one of the best wide receivers in all of football. That catch, that touchdown catch of his against Philly, That's a tough fucking throw in the coverage. He knew he was going to get hit and he still scored. It's hard to beat those guys when those guys are at their best. It's hard to beat them when everybody else does their job. Vegas knows it. We are still plus 5,000, but we're ninth. We're above the Seahawks and the Seahawks have a better record than us. (laughs) That's hilarious, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think that we... Everything now stands on the edge of a knife for the Buffalo Bills. The, 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 their, their balls are that close to the bandsaw. At the same time, as a road playoff team coming into your building, Chris, who wants to see the Buffalo Bills?
2: Nobody. Cowboy fans. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of them out there in a couple weeks. But I'm
1: saying, in the, in, the, in the wild card round, in the AFC, which one of these teams wants to see Buffalo showing up in their building? Not many. No. <laughs> Buffalo's a fucking problem. There's still time. Somehow. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to unplug for a week and try to decompress and deal with the idea that this team, for as frustrating and disappointing as they may be, Somehow we're not mathematically eliminated yet. And until they are, I'll choose to believe that there might be a road forward, but I'm not... I don't feel good about it. I'm going to have to drink about this. I'm going to have to let that one marinate. But uh, who knows? Maybe I'll find it again ahead of Chiefs week. huh? Maybe we'll find a little something. A little spark, a little reason to believe between now and then. I don't know. Guys... I, f- It feels weird because I feel like I'm standing at the precipice of something. The Bills have to go 4-1 and the rest of the way and can't have any significant AFC losses or else they're out of the playoffs. If we go back to full drought or the gilded drought, like if that's where we end up, and this truly is just a wild card to non-playoff team, just more expensive with nicer things, still gonna be here built for this i don't know about you guys hopefully some of you are ready for the ride i expect i expect chris as they do podcast downloads to du- to, to just plummet when yeah they're eliminated i expect people on social media to lose their minds i expect attendance to plummet i expect there to be some real fucking problems But Chris, all we know is problems. (laughs) We were, we were forged in the, in the fire of just a problematic franchise that couldn't get out of its own way. If anything, this fits like an old coat that I slipped on and found a dollar bill in the pocket of. Guys, hopefully the bye week treats you well. Go check out our after dark episode over on YouTube where we're going to talk about fans from Philadelphia. And, uh, I don't know. Hopefully this team finds some semblance of itself, and hopefully this coach does something that saves his job, at least in the opinion of fans like me. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rockpile Report.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.